You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Proverbs 4.23, even before you get there, maybe you're there already and you've already looked at it. Can anybody quote Proverbs 4.23? Does anybody know what it is? Starts with keep. Yep, keep thy heart with all diligence. And after that, it got a little muddy, but I think he said, for out of it are, he has something in his mouth. I heard keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the what? Issues of life. Okay, I think most of us are familiar with this truth. uh, Proverbs 4.23 uh, we've been going through some parent principles is what I'm calling it on Wednesday nights. These are principles that will help guide us as we strive to raise our children for the Lord. That, that we raise our children with a heart for the Lord, uh, to please the Lord. I, I think that's what we all want. And we want our children to grow up and love God and live for God. That's, that's why I started with the thought the, the last two weeks that we are ambassadors, not owners. And that we represent God to our children. We don't just own our children. We have a stewardship over them, but they're not, in the, really in the essence um, of ownership, they're not ours. That God gave them to us. We talked about how, how they are an inheritance of the Lord, uh, that, that he really does own our children. We simply, am, we are ambassadors, we are representatives of God to our children. And now that's not to say that children are not given to parents, because Obviously, children are given to parents, and some parents uh, tend to blame all of their children's issues and all of their, their children's shortcomings on everybody else, and in every situation, uh, there's always somebody else to blame. In the end, the, that child is a parent's responsibility, and we, we can't lose sight of that. Some, some parents even, they, they forget or forsake that so, to the point where they'll, they, they really rely on somebody else to raise their children. And they think, well, you know, I've got these things to do, so someone else will bring them up. No, uh, as a parent, God gave you the responsibility to raise those children, although you don't own those children. You represent God to those children or in front of those children. It raises our level of responsibility um, when we acknowledge that children were given to parents because we're not allowed to simply just do it like we want to do it. We must raise them, raise our children according to God's word if we want them to love and to please God. And God did give children to parents, and that might deserve its own parent principle message in the coming weeks, but he gave them to us as stewards. We are ambassadors to raise them in his way. And that thought really does lead to tonight's principle that we'll get to. I'm starting with bigger picture type principles because uh, rather than... uh, just starting with practical things, because I've always, and we talked about this last week, uh, Jesus Christ gives us the principle, love God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor on on these two laws, all all these two things, all the law and the prophets. And if we have a big picture in mind, then it answers a thousand questions. It's like that puzzle box in front of us. If you have that destination that you're looking at, you're much more likely to get there. So tonight's principle is, much like last week, in that it's more about the identity or the role that we have as parents than it is about our children, although we will talk about uh, 
the nature of a child and, and who that child is. But in the end, it really, tonight's principle again, if last week's was, uh, you know, we are ambassadors, not owners, tonight's really is more along those lines. And, and I'm going to give it to you, although we probably won't spend as much time on this principle tonight as we will lay the groundwork to spend time on the principle. Um, the, the principle tonight is we are authorities, not agents of change. We are authorities, not agents of change. And I know there's probably a lot about that that doesn't make sense to you yet. I hope that it will um, by the end of this, or at least you'll start to see it. We are authorities, not agents of change. And I'm going to start with this point just to kind of help us understand uh, the nature of a person, the nature of a child. And the first thing that I want to talk about tonight is that our children are more than bodies. Our children are more than bodies. Our children have more to them than just a body. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And I don't have to convince you of that tonight. I know everyone in here believes that. We'll be even discussing this point a little bit more in Genesis on Sunday morning. But after God formed man, after he made him with the dust of the ground, it says that he breathed into him and animated that body with a living soul. Man became a living soul. And, I, you know, I don't really fully understand how God breathed because God doesn't have a body, so he therefore wouldn't have lungs and and we're not, I don't know that I, I think that he actually breathes like we do, but something that he, he it's, that means he inspired. I mean, he expired. He, he gave life. And probably the only way we can really wrap our minds around that is to consider the word breathe. So that's the word that's there. But he became a living soul. And mankind is the only creation that we're told this happened to. Th- that, this part of the process is what makes man the image of God. God, in his, from his essence, he, he gave something of himself to that first body in Adam and animated Adam in, in, to the point that Adam was a, an in the image or a reflection or a characterization of God himself. In that moment, God, Adam became like God as a person in his personality, in his capacity to have a relationship with others, in his ability to make Uh, decisions, moral decisions, in his will, in his ability to choose between right or wrong. That the soul is that inner part of man. It's the part of us that makes us who we are. Our bodies are what we look like, but who we are is something different. Who we are is something internal. And the word heart is the old in the Old Testament, it really does encompass the part of the man that is that is the inner part of man. The biblical word heart is the inner aspect of man. It's made of three parts. And again, these are things that you know. I just want to lay some groundwork. But it's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It is the center of one's being. I've heard some say that it is the control center of the person. It is what makes the person do what the person does. See, God purposely created human beings to be different from the rest of creation. We are more than just bodies. And that, that flies in the face of, of some modern philosophies out there. That, and I, we won't get into them tonight, but they say that all we are is, a, is a, a, we exist as a progress, as, no, we exist by chance. 
that there's nothing deliberate about us. We're the result of something that's an accident. And therefore, what you see is all that we are. What you see is what you get. We simply live in a body, and therefore, we just enjoy life. But 1 Peter 3, 4 talks about the hidden man of the heart. And what Peter's talking about is how woman, a, a woman will adorn them, the, themselves on the outside, but that, that, that part is the inferior part of what we should be focusing on. What we should be focusing on is the hidden man of the heart. That is the most important part of us to develop. That's the most important part of us to improve. That should be our focus. And Proverbs 4.23 really does give us that picture. We'll look at it together. It says, Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let's read that together. Ready? Begin. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is one of those verses you memorize from the time you're a child. One of the first verses you teach your children. One of the first things you learn in junior church. And it has a very simple interpretation. To keep means to guard, in case you didn't know. It's very, it's very simple. Keep means to guard. Heart means, as we've already looked, the inner man. Diligence is a place, though this is where it gets a little bit interesting, because diligence is actually a place of confinement. Diligence is a prison or a jail or a place of abode. It's a place where you are. So the first part of the verse actually means it's saying that we should put the inner man, the heart, the hidden part of man in a, in a location or maybe even a prison and guard him. We should take that inner man and lock him up for protection. That's what keep thy heart with all diligence means. So why? What, why should we do that? Well, the second part of the verse gives us the motivation because out of it, out of the inner man, out of the heart are the issues of life. And the issues of both out of it, the phrase out of it and issues point to what comes out of a man. So out of it are the issues of life. So what we ought to be thinking is we take the heart, we take the inner part of man and we put him inside a location and we lock him up because if we, because if we don't, then we are not protecting the part of man that, that causes a man to do everything that he does. That hidden part of man should be treated like a valuable treasure. Our hearts are valuable treasures. Our hearts should be protected and guarded as if in a fortress. Everything that comes out of our life, according to this verse is affected by the heart. It's, the heart is the spring of, of our lives. Now, you, you've probably seen a, a, a natural spring. I remember when we were, um, last, at the end of last summer, I took the, the interns, uh, Jacob and Curtis, up to uh, the Black Hills, and we stayed a night there uh, at the cabin that the chambers own. And as we were going through, we, we drove by uh, this one spot near the cabin, and there's a pipe coming out of the side of the hill. And out of that pipe, water was coming. And that, it was just, it's a natural spring. And it just constantly is coming out of that pipe, and, and, and they don't know where it comes from, but it's somewhere way back up in that, inside that mountain, inside that hill. But you don't see the source, 
you simply see the out of, the out of it, the issues. You, that's what issues or out of it, that's what it means. It's the, the outflow of the spring. Well, the heart of, of man is somewhere deep in the mountain, and, and that water coming out of the mountain represents the issues of life. So the heart is, is the source of all that we do. It's the spring of our lives. It is, it, and it is a hidden source, as we've, already, as we've already read. So we'll make the transition then to our children. If my child's heart will amp- impact every part of their lives, then my focus in parenting should be my child's heart. If my child's heart impacts every part of their life, if what my child's heart is impacts everything they say or do or everything that you can see coming out, if, if, if my child's heart is the source of all of that, then our target in parenting should always be the hidden man because that is what prompts the outer man, or in our, our case, the outer child, to do what they're doing. And there are a couple of problems to be aware of here. And the heart is like a spring, but the quality of the source of water determines if it's drinkable or usable. So the quality of the heart determines the outcome. See, first-time mothers holding their perfect children don't like to hear this. So you might want to close your ears, but your child's heart is not naturally good. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's hard to believe that a child so precious and small that you hold in your hands has at their core as a little sinner a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, the heart is naturally bent to evil. We have a sin nature. So parents, guess what? We're already at a disadvantage. Because we're not just dealing with this being that is good by nature. And I read a, a, a headline on Fox News today. I didn't click on it. But it says that, that children are born naturally nice and kind. I was like, you have not been around my children. Because when my children were born, they weren't at all thinking about other people. They came out thinking, Here are, here's my list of demands. And I will cry and make noise until I, my demands are reached. That's every child. And don't buy into the philosophy of the world today that says that children are born kind and children are born nice and children are born good because we've seen the opposite and we've read the opposite in God's word. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have a natural bent to evil. And if the heart is evil, then the out of it, the issues are evil. If the heart is good, then the out of it, the issues are good. Jesus Christ said, either make the tree good and his, and, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. He said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bring forth evil things. And if you, the, the, the quality of your heart will determine the quality of your life, your actions. I remember I was at, at camp one year and, and there was a kid at camp that just, he caused trouble all week and he, 
He wasn't with our group. He was with another group. But he had a notorious reputation after about the second day at camp that he was just there to cause lots of trouble. And, and everywhere that, uh, that I saw him, he, there were already, always adults around him talking to him about something he had just done. And I remember, uh, it's just one of those kids, you know, that just can't stay out of it. Now, I remember I was coming up some steps, and he was sitting on the steps, and, and this was probably day three or four, and there was an adult, a counselor, sitting there talking to him. And as I, as I walked by the counselor, I heard the counselor say, no, and I'm just going to throw out a name. Um, I don't remember his name. But I, he said, hey, Jimmy, listen, I know you have a good heart, but... And as I walked by, I did a double take, like... You're not talking to Jimmy, are you? Because nobody at that camp that week, if they were thinking at all, believed Jimmy had a good heart. And, and if we're going to believe what Jesus Christ said, then we know that's not true. Because out of it are the issues of life. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if Jimmy's actions are, are not good, then his heart is not good. Our actions reveal our hearts. That's what the Bible says. The heart leads. The, the quality of a child's heart will determine their behavior. And we, and we all agree with that. We all say, yes, the heart must be right first. And we would all even consent to the importance of the heart in helping our children do what they're supposed to do. We want them to be before they do. We, want, we preach it and we say it. But I wonder if on a daily basis, I wonder how much it's actually practiced in our parenting. See, I would submit to you, and the reason I could submit this to you is because I'm a parent myself and I know what it's like. But I would submit to you that many parents raise their children as if they are bodies first rather than hearts first. And even if they believe that their children are hearts, by their actions, by the way they parent, then you would have to say, but their focus is not on the heart, their focus is on the body. And it's easy to parent focused on externals instead of the heart. See, here's the problem with focusing on the outward. Is one of the most helpful books my wife and I ever read in raising our children um, is one that you've probably read. I believe that Brother Chad may have even gone through some of the material called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And, and he says we often wrongly focus too much on the outward behavior in that we usually react to stop what we don't like. We parent by trying to put an end to the things that, that we don't like. For instance, you know, we'll say things like, and if you're a parent, then you have said this. We say things like, well, you stop that. It's always so loud. Well, you stop that. It's always so loud. Or we say things like, play nice. I'm tired of having to tell you. I've said that one a thousand times or more. See, the behavior of our children gets our attention. And in response, we're responding to stimuli. But in responding to stimuli, we're telling them, stop because it's loud. Or we're telling them, play nice. Because I've told you that before. You know, we, we respond to the behavior. We respond to the outer actions and we don't give them an internal reason to stop their outer actions. The reasons we give them are also external. I mean, it happened to me just last night. Uh, we, to, I was sitting in the living room and, 
and, and Aaron was sitting there, and, and we were just, we were talking, I don't even know what we were talking about, and two of our children were doing something they shouldn't be doing, and, and so Aaron called them into the living room, and, and she said, and she gave them some instructions. And I was just, I was watching what she was doing, and, and she said, okay, and here, do this. Because of this, do this. So both of these children, and neither of them are in here, by the way, so I don't want my, old, my three older children to feel like I'm calling them out tonight. But both of my children, as soon as they got an instruction, the instruction from Aaron, they both turned around and they walked to where she had told them to go. And so I did what, uh, what good dads ought to do, and I stopped them. And I said, you know, you'll come back here. No, we're going to do this again. Because the rule at our house is, if you get a direct command or a direct instruction from one of your parents, you say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And so I called them back over, and I said, no, your mother gave you an instruction. She's going to give it to you again, and this time I want you to do it the right way. And so she gave them the instruction, and they both said, yes, ma'am. And then they turned, and they walked down the hall. You know, and in my heart, I'm thinking, I wish, I wish we could have recorded that. But, you know, after I really started thinking about it, in the end, I was parenting bodies, not parenting hearts. Because in that moment, all I did was make sure that their body conformed to our expectations. And I didn't at any place in that instruction or in that training take the time to explain the importance of something like honoring your parents or obeying your parents because that's pleasing to the Lord. I didn't at any point in that way target my children's hearts in that conversation. Now, I have before, and they know those reasons, but as parents, we have to do better than simply giving, having outward conformation, conforming to this set of standards or these rules that we have without dealing with something internal. If we are parenting their bodies, then we are not targeting the area that matters the most in our children's lives. And it's easy to do in, parent, be, in parenting. We often parent as if our children are just bodies. And as long as they comply on the outside, then we leave it there. As long as they say, yes, sir, that's good enough for me. As long as they clean their room um, by the third time I've checked, in the end, as long as it's clean, that's good with me. As long as they're not being too loud and bothering me from what I'm doing, then we're in good shape. We just want them to get along with each other. As long as they do that, then I don't really care what's going on, you know? I mean, as long as there's some silence and there's peace, then that's... Then that, and these are all good things. These are all things we want from our children, are they not? We want them to comply. We want them to obey. We want them to get along with each other. We want them to be respectful. We want them not to get in trouble in school the older they get. We, we want to make sure that they don't have friends that they're leading astray or, or hanging out with friends that aren't good for them. And especially when they get even older than that, we want to make sure as long as they're not breaking the law. You know, I've heard parents even say that. But where in all of that as a parent is God doing the work on a heart level? See, the heart is the most important target in parenting. 
And we lose sight of it in our quest to have them conform, and I'm just going to call it the law tonight, to have them conform to the law. See, we all have law in our home, hopefully some form of law. And it's almost as if we're trusting the law to change our children, though. You understand? I'm not saying that law is bad, but I am saying that law cannot do for your child's heart what it needs to be done. See, we have the right to enforce rules. We are their authorities. We are authorities. We're still ambassadors, which means our, our rules are God's principles, but either way, God has granted authority to us. We have the responsibility to have authority. Therefore, part of our raising our children is to point them to the, to the rules. Uh, part of raising our children is to point them to the laws. That's fine. It's not a bad thing. God has standards of right and wrong. Every parent with a heart for God will operate their homes based on right and wrong. It's not a bad thing. And when they're very young, parents primarily spend their time on the outside. They're, they're trying to get their children to conform to the rules. That's what you do, especially when they're young. It's almost all outward. I, mean, I can promise you, uh, when my child is a year old and crawling around and, and they are in the habit of reaching up and touching an outlet on the wall, and so I reach down and I flick their hand, you know, they're not thinking on a heart level. They're thinking, ow. And that's okay when they're young. It's okay that we are setting boundaries and we're helping them to understand these are the areas, if you stay within these confines, then you will stay safe and you will stay secure and your hand won't hurt as much. It's, it's okay to have law. We have these rules and if they disobey, then they feel the punishment. There's value in law. I mean, without law, there'd be disorder everywhere. It helps us to conform to the right and wrong. Paul even said, here's the benefit of the law. In Romans 7, 7, he said, Now, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So we, we, I'm not standing up here downing the law or the effects of the law. The, the law makes it clear that we've sinned against God. The law reveals our true condition. The law is our schoolmaster, according to the book of Galatians. We wouldn't even know we were out of bounds with God if the law isn't teaching us. As one author said, God gave us the law so that our behavior would be guided by a clear knowledge of right and wrong. The law is helpful. But listen, as valuable as the law is, it's not the end itself. Think about salvation. See, the law brings us to the knowledge of sin, but the, does the law save us? Folks, can the law save us? It brings us to the knowledge of sin. It brings us to the brink. But we are saved when the law helps us acknowledge our sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts us through his word. And we believe on Jesus Christ by faith, trusting his payment on the cross to save us. That's where we're saved. The law, did it play a part in the process? Yes, absolutely. But the law is simply there to point me to Christ. If the law could save, let's ask this question. If the law could save, then why did Jesus have to come? The law was insufficient. It simply pointed to the source of true and legitimate change, which is Jesus Christ. See, I believe one mistake that parents make in raising their children is trusting in the rules to change their children. 
They focus on behavior instead of the heart. And I say that because I've done that. But the heart is what determines the issues of life. So changing outward behavior with the heart being in, without the heart being involved is not actually helping us raise image bearers. If all I'm ever doing is getting them to conform to the rules outwardly that I want them to, then I'm not actually creating image bearers. And here's why first, because God is a, is a spirit. He doesn't even have a body. So when he made man in his image, it wasn't about what Adam looked like. It, it was about what Adam was like. It was the inner part of Adam that was most like God. Now, I believe there are probably, if God had a body, he probably uh, would look like a human. I mean, Jesus Christ came and he was human. But I don't believe that the, that the most important or priority part of image of God is what we look like. The inner part of us, the personality, the soul, the, the part that makes us who we are, that is more important to God. And you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Okay, well then just think about a, a change in behavior um, that doesn't come from a change in heart was something Jesus Christ talked about a lot in the New Testament, and he did not talk about it positively. He said in Matthew 15, 8, this people... Look at them, they draw nigh to me with their mouth and, and they pray with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips. They, they say these things. And you know who he was talking about when he said this people? Who do you think he was talking about? He was talking about the Pharisees. He was saying that if we simply adjust our behavior to be one thing, but our heart is not involved in it, according to Jesus Christ, uh, that was something he condemned. And, and he did, so here's what my point is, is that if we simply focus on the outer behavior, the outward things that our children do, and we don't get their heart involved, we are not raising image bearers, we are raising Pharisees. And I know that's a heavy thing to say and that's a, a tough thing to hear, but I'm a parent too. And the last thing I want to do is raise Pharisees. So maybe I ought to view it this way, this strongly, because I need to make sure that in raising my children that I don't turn them into people that Jesus Christ condemned over and over in the New Testament. When we focus on changing behavior without changing a heart, uh, on it, the proper label is not image bearers. It's Pharisee. And so let me give you some ways that we focus on the outer, the outward. And I'm going to admittedly not give you very much positive reinforcement tonight. I, I, because I want us to see how, how big of an issue this can be. So here's how we focus on the outward as parents. Is that we resort to tools that don't have the power to create heart change. See, we lean on things, sometimes as parents, we lean on things like fear. See, so, sometimes we assume that we can affect change in our children if we can make them afraid enough. And I, don't, I know we don't abs go out there and, and, and literally think these, these thoughts and, and think, how can I make my children afraid? <laughs> well, maybe some parents do, but hopefully you don't. But we say things like, if you do that again... You will get a huge 
or huge, as our president would say, you, you would get a huge spanking. So, listen, we, we want them to know that this is no small thing. So we threaten them with something really big. Or we say something, again, in terms of fear, we say something like, if I have to pull this car over, you will not like what happens next. Or if you don't start cleaning your room, I will make you, no, I'm not going to go that far. I will make your life miserable, I'll say. If you don't, you hear me? Have you ever found yourself as a parent saying these kinds of things? Why do we use threats? Well, because they're temporarily effective. I mean, the truth is, when a child is little and his mom or dad are big and they get loud and their face turns red and the volume goes up and literal fire comes out of their ears, that is threatening. Not literal fire, you know what I mean. But having a child that knows not to cross you when you get angry, it will make them fear you. But that's totally different than raising a child that knows and fears God. And because of that, he has a desire to do what's right. See, child one, the one that's afraid of you, has not changed on a heart level. He's simply trying to avoid a huge spanking or a miserable life. But as ambassadors, we represent God. And although we have promises that made that if we disobey, we'll be cursed, his purpose for those laws is a relationship. When God tells us, I'm going to do this if you do that, it's not a threat. It's a promise based on righteousness. And his reasoning, his motivation for giving us those things is that he wants a relationship with us. He's not satisfied with a relationship with his children that is only established on fear. That's not his primary parenting method. He wants a relationship built or established on love because he's looking for the heart. So for us to use fear as our method of change, it will not touch the heart, although it might change the behavior. There are times when as parents, we rely on, the, uh, on reward and I, I've done that before. You, you want your child to be a certain way and you kind of um, promise them something if they'll behave this way. And uh, it's easier to get quick results, honestly, when you dangle certain rewards in front of your children to try to get them to change their behavior. We tend to do this. If you do this, I will give you that. And the, I mean, just an example um, is, you know, you've, if you have two children, two siblings, one's older than the other, and the older child tends to kind of pick on the younger child. Maybe in your family this never happens, but in some families that I'm very familiar with, I've seen it happen. I'm not going to tell you what family I'm talking about, but I've seen it. And you've got two siblings, if, if one kind of picks on the other and kind of annoys the other and it gets a rise out of the other one you've surely you've seen this happen and so you go to the older child and you say now listen listen uh, i know that you um and your sibling you're kind of you haven't been getting along very well and and i we want you to get along your mom and i we want you to get along and so listen i know you've been looking at that at that new uh that drone on amazon and if you will be good for a month, 
I'll buy you that drone. And so for a month, you have peace in your home. And after the month is over, you go to him and say, yep, you held up your end of the bargain, and here's the drone. And what's happening within an hour after they got their reward? They're chasing their sibling, flying the drone after their sibling through the house. You know, that kind of stuff. So the reward causes temporary change. But we have not affected the heart. Because we are simply giving them something external by which to operate. We're giving them external motivation. The sibling didn't change because they, they, didn't, they didn't change because God's word was opened and they saw the importance of love and kindness and respect and obedience. Their behavior temporarily changed as a result of getting what they wanted. And, and only for a short time. According to one author, they said change is about learning what's right, acknowledging that it is right, confessing that you've been wrong, committing to a new way of living and seeking the help you need to do it. That's not, that doesn't come from the promise of dangling a carrot in front of someone's face to get them to do what they're supposed to do. See, change can only come for the transforming power of God's word. And we may be able to affect behavior, but we don't have access to the heart. And our laws, our rules, the things that we give them, the, the things that we're meant to enforce, they, they will affect the outside to some degree, but our tools are limited. Sometimes we employ the, employ the tool of shame. You know, shame and guilt, those are big in the parenting game, and and we say things like, I can't believe you'd even think about doing something like that. Or when I was your age, I never dreamed of doing that. Or what would your grandparents think? Or what would the people at church think? What would your friends think if they knew what you were really like? And see, what we do is we make them feel guilt and shame, but it's on a horizontal level. We're making them feel shame uh, by the people that would be around them. And horizontally, they're feeling shame. But really, the ultimate guilt and shame is where we stand before God. Our shame should never be horizontal. Our shame should always be vertical, guilty. And in the moments when they've done something that disappoints us, it is not about making them feel bad about what everybody else will think of them. It is about pointing out the fact that someday... They will by themselves with nobody else stand before God and answer for their actions. In the end, guilt and shame before God is a, is a much better help in reaching the heart of a child than horizontal shame around other people. And we have these power, and there's many others. I think we're going to look at some more next week. But we, we have these, what one, one guy called power tools. And we, well, we think they're power tools. And we think this is how we're going to get our children to become what they're supposed to be. But in the end, folks, only God has access to a heart. Only God can transform and change a heart. He is the only one that can do that on a foundational level. And that leads that to tonight's principle that if we want our children to be changed on the heart level, we have to realize that we are authorities, but we're not agents of change. And what it does is it, it, it helps us to see that we still have to set up the structure. 
We still have to set up the rules and we still have to set up the law, if you want to call it that. But in the end, we are dependent on God as the only one who can actually change that heart. The rules don't do it. The rules point them to a God that can do it. So don't view the rules, don't view the law, don't view the, the guidelines and the standards as, as the things that will actually change the, chi- the heart of a child. It is only God that has access. Behavior modification won't bring lasting change to our children. Threats and fear and shame and rewards won't either. And although they may affect the outward part of my child, temporarily they cannot change his heart. The law is essential because it helps us see where we fall short. But our rules alone cannot make change. In the same way that the law of the Old Testament, in the end, it helped us to see where we fell short, but it lacked the power to actually do the job. We can enforce the rules, but we can't enforce a change of heart. We have to depend on God's work in their hearts, not our work on their bodies. Because we may be authorities, but he's the agent of change. We must make sure that our interactions in discipline and in training target the heart and not just the body. And we we have to set aside the tools that we employ and engage the power of God in the process. And we'll look more about how to do that, but we have to come to the end of our wisdom and engage God's power. We are authorities, but we're not agents of change. And you say, well, how do I do it? Because I'm telling you, every day, when you're dealing with children every single day that are, you know, one thing after another, I mean, I especially feel it for, for moms. The moms that homeschool their kids. Around their kids more than I our kids more than I am, Aaron is, and and every day, you know, every day there's one thing after another thing after another thing. And you get to the point where it's easier just to modify their behavior. But if we're going to employ God's power to change on a heart level, we have to take it a step further than that. And we'll build on those thoughts more next week, Lord willing, I think even look at some practical ways to target the hearts of our children as we raise them for the Lord with his help. If I want to leave you with something tonight, let me just remind you that your child is more than a body. And in the end, the, the satisfaction and the contentment of their life will be based on their relationship with God on a heart level. And it's no different than, you, than it is for you as well. If we ever get to the point where our relationship with God is about what we're doing on the outside and not a relationship on a heart level, then we're no different than what Jesus Christ called the Pharisees. That our hearts are in one place far from God even though our bodies look like they're doing the right thing. So let's be sure that, I mean, really, honestly, the best way to affect our children's hearts is that on a, on our, a level with God, for ourselves, we have a relationship with God on a heart level. Because I can tell you this, the older my children get, the more I realize they can see right through when mom and dad aren't really what, they're, what they say they are. And maybe the most important thing that you can do to affect change in your child is for it to be real for you. On a heart level, 
Not going through the motions, not just outwardly walking through the things that, that we think will please God, but on a heart level being right with God. In the end, we are authorities, but we're not agents of change. And we'll look at this a little bit more next week as we continue the series. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.